to another episode of the Netmic Assist podcast. This is a special episode with a very special guest. We've been trying to get him for like a while now and the schedule has been really, really rough recently. And he's finally here. We actually mentioned his name in our last episode with Rahul when we talked about Trevor Chalava. He is none other than Orlando Ashton co-founder of the Chelsea Sport, writer, scouted football, and also an honorary member of the Chatalytics podcast. Welcome, Orlando. Thank you for the kind words, Rafik. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I know it's been it's been a long time <laughs> coming, hasn't it? We haven't really been able to make it work, but we're finally here. And I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you for having me on. Same here, man. I mean, to all the listeners, if you need someone, or if you, if you probably need a go-to guy, to talk anything regarding the Chelsea youth or, or even youth players in general. Orlando is your man. Just follow him on Twitter. That's that's going to be really worth your time as well. So we will start off this podcast discussing about Chelsea youth, one of the biggest academies, one of the greatest academies in football, to be honest. The number of amazing players they produce is you can't really count them. And it's amazing how Chelsea produced a lot of amazing football talents. Orlando, but what do you think was the trigger for this? Do you think Roman Abramovich is like really, really invested in this after he took over Chelsea back in 2004? Um, I think that is one aspect to it, certainly. Yeah, I think even without the financial aspects, and obviously that does play a big part, I think Chelsea first and foremost, are very, very well placed in the hotbed of of young English talent that is just getting better and better with every generation. Sort of their catchment area is really the whole of London because now they have that dominance where they can, they're able to attract players from anywhere in London, but in particular South London. Um, and, you know, we've seen, especially in recent years, Crystal Palace Academy being, you know, having not similar levels of success, but um, considering how how their stature as a club is relative to Chelsea's, their academy has been heavily heavily successful. Um, and it's just there are so, there are so many players from from that area, and it's just it's it's almost like you know how PSG have have Paris, and they have they're able to pick up players really from from all across France from the best acad- academies like La Havre, etc. Um, it's similar for Chelsea. Um, and yeah, you are right. When when Roman Abramovich came in, it it was one of his big things. Obviously, there was John Terry, who was produced the kind of well, he wasn't the first, but he was the the biggest ever, I guess, uh, export of the club's academy, and obviously went on to become a, a complete legend and the captain. And I think he was very keen to ensure he he had a and still has, I believe, a, a very close bond with Abramovich, and was very keen to ensure that 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 kind of academy to first team pathway stayed and 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 was um improved um the pathway itself has been a little rocky over the years um it's only really since lampard came in as manager that we saw the the academy products get getting given the the opportunities in the first team that they deserved you know there's been many i I remember that i'm sure you remember as well and, and many of the listeners do there was a famous quote from jose Mourinho when he said that it would be his his mistake it would be a failure on his part if I think it was Dominic Solanke, Lewis Baker and Izzy Brown didn't become England internationals. Um, Solanke did actually technically become an, inter- an England international for one game and he's doing well in, in, in the championship for Bournemouth at the moment um, and will soon be back in the Premier League, I'm sure. But the point is, had they been afforded the chances in, in the first team at that point that their academy um, their academy performances 
um, made them worthy of, it may have been a very different story uh, with their careers. And we're now seeing that with the likes of Mason Mount, Fikaira, Tomori, Tammy Abraham, Reese James, the list goes on. Um, these players are good enough. And, and, and we're now seeing that. Um, and Trevor Chalaber is a fantastic example, just another one off the list who many people, you know, assume, in fact, including myself, assumed he's on loan at FC Lorient. He's done very well, but it's a massive step up to Chelsea. I was saying, yeah, he shouldn't really be looking to get into the squad because he'd be, he'd be doing better getting a, a starting role somewhere else. You know, clubs of, of the stature of Marseille, for example, and Nice were interested in him. It would have been an excellent move. I didn't think he'd get minutes, many minutes at Chelsea if he made it into the squad. But, you know, even me as, you know, I'm, I guess I, I can say I'm one of his biggest fans out there. Even me, I didn't expect him to be so good that he's, you know, really pushing for... I think it's not crazy to say that he's in Chelsea's best starting eleven at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very impressive. Tino Livramento, another one, of course, just gone straight from, from under-23 football straight into the Premier League and doing amazingly, um, which is a phenomenon we saw really for the first time with uh, Tariq Lamptey about a year and a half ago. Um, so yeah, you're right. The the Chelsea Academy is fantastic. I, I love talking about it. Um, I, I've been writing about it a lot in the, in the latest scouted football handbook. I have a, a, um, a piece detailing the context, the ramifications and the details of, of, um, everything to do with, um, the, the youth exodus from Chelsea this summer. So that's Livramento, Bate, Mark Gurhi at Crystal Palace, uh, Tamori, um, Abraham and, and so on. We'll come to all those players. I mean, I plan to actually ask you about some of those players you mentioned mm. there. But you look at the Chelsea team, Tammy Abraham as a striker, Dominic Solanke as a striker. In midfield, you had Mason Mount. Um, even Declan Rice actually was a Chelsea youth product before he left for West Ham, if I'm not wrong. And in defence, Andreas Christensen, Reese James, Trevor Chalaba, Fikayo Tomori, Mark Gehi. Uh, I mean, you have like a bunch of talent there. I think you're probably one goalkeeper away from, one academy goalkeeper away from, you know, <laughs> doing the whole thing. Nathan Baxter is on his way. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully he, he, you know, breaks out as well. So you have like an, I mean, you just have like, talent spread out all over the pitch, to be honest, across various positions, across various roles in a football team. What do you think has been the culture in the academy? Because with certain clubs, you see that the managers don't really, at least the senior team managers don't really like create a proper pathway for the youth to come in. You mentioned how Frank Lampard's appointment was really the turning point, to be honest, for Chelsea. Because, I mean, the question really begs, Without Lampard, would we have actually seen more of Reese James? Would we have seen more of Mason Mount? We might have. Mason Mount definitely is someone who's going to be at the very, very top really soon. He is actually currently at, in, a, in, a, in a very top level. But you're going to see a lot of these Chelsea players at like a very, very top level in the next, what, five, ten years or so. But do you think the culture at the academy is actually in a really good state right now? And the path, is, a, is a pathway like really good? No, I don't think so, to, to give you a very blunt answer. And I think you're totally right that those players you mentioned wouldn't have got the chance at Chelsea had um, had Lampard not come in. You know, it, if Maurizio Sarri had stayed, he was 
it was very obvious that he was targeting El Cid Haisaj, uh, um, I think, at Napoli at the time to come in as a right back as a new signing. So obviously, Reese James wouldn't have got the chance. Um, I'm not sure how well this is known, um, but Mason Mount actually had a permanent move to Werder Bremen lined up, um, had Mauricio Sarri stayed at the club. Um, until Frank Lampard came in and said, yeah, obviously, Frank Lampard, who had been his manager this, the previous season at Derby, obviously he was going to have a big role. Um, Tammy Abraham, you know, I doubt he would have got the chance, despite being so good at Villa the previous season. You know, Sarri had his had his favourites in Higuain and, and Murata. And I'm not, I'm not, although I do have issues with Sarri and, and the academy, I, I'm not really blaming him as such. I'm more blaming uh, the lack of a, kind of coherent um, approach with regards to pushing these uh, young promising players into the first team. Um, and that's just been seen again this summer. You know, I talk about that piece I wrote, but I think I'll just kind of elaborate on one, one the case of one player in particular, um, which I kind of come to at the end of the piece as a sort of summary of, of all the problems. Um, and that's Mark Gurhi. Um, because it's really no exaggeration to say that he ticked every single box possible on loan at Swansea for those 18 months he was there. He was widely, widely regarded by the end of his loan spell as the best centre-back in the championship. Um, And really, he could have made a move to a club of a higher level than Crystal Palace this summer. Um, I'm not saying he made a bad move. I think it was a great move to Crystal Palace and I love the project they have going on, but he's, he's very, very good. Um, and you know, his recent appointment as captain for the England under 21 shows that, et cetera, et cetera. So this summer you had Mark Gurhey coming in or coming back from loan where he had more than proven his credentials as a, as a senior player, as a player of the quality of Chelsea's first team. Um, you know, even if it's just rotational minutes or whatever, um, and you also have three of Chelsea's five first-team centre-backs heading into the final year of their contract. So that's Antonio Rudiger, um, Cesar Azpilicueta, and Andreas Christensen. Um, and they just sold Gurhi. They just sold him for £18 million. Pounds, uh, not a particularly meaningful fee considering the, the £100 million they, they spent on Lukaku in the, in the same window. And, and also it's important to note that this was in the very same window in which Chelsea were struggling, really struggling to convince these two top-level talents who ended up leaving, Lewis Bate and Tino Livramento, to convince them that signing a new contract was the right idea. And they were totally vindicated in, the, in their decision to, to leave. But really, Chelsea held the cards. If they had said, Mark Gurhey, you're coming into the first team. Look, Thomas Tuchel, you're the manager. You don't get to decide your squad. I don't care whether you like him or not. Obviously, you would have liked him because he's a great player. But, you know, even catering for him, Tuchel not loving him, it doesn't matter. You put him in the squad. You you bed him in. You let him play his way into more minutes, exactly as Trevor Chalaba has done um, very unprecedentedly. Obviously, Gurhi would have been, they would have expected him to do so. Trevor was very, very unexpected. Um, so you can't really give any credit to anyone for that apart from himself. Um, so, yeah, I think that's flown under the radar a bit, particularly because of how good Chalaba has been and also because Bate hasn't yet got any first-team opportunities at Leeds, although he, they will be coming soon, I'm sure of that. Um, but, yeah, it, it is slightly worrying. Um, 
Billy Gilmore being sent out on loan when he's proven many times that he, he's more than good enough to be playing for Chelsea. Um, you know, that it is worrying. But on the other hand, you can't really shy. Even me as an academy enthusiast and everything, we are the Champions League winners. We, there is a t- Premier League title up for grabs. Um, well, relatively anyway. Um so you can understand where the counter argument comes from, but I think you've always got to be planning for the future. And I think this issue kind of transcends any manager and really Chelsea need to have a, a more coherent system and, and even get something like a director of football or something. Yeah, I mean, you really um, described the whole situation in like a very, I mean, in very depth actually. But I mean, when you really mentioned about Margie's situation, I kind of like, thought about Callum Hudson-Odoi, how he signed an extension like what, three years back, a five-year contract three years back. And if you look at the number of games he's played since then, and even if you look at how he's yeah. being treated right now, I, if, if you are like a youth player who's like really talented in the academy, and if you see the situation of Hudson-Odoi, you would, the first thought you would have is to leave. because Well, exactly. That, that's basically what I think Tino Livramento basically did. And I mean, he's been excellent. I think he's been one of the best right backs in the league this season. Absolutely. He's, he's really kicking on at Southampton. When he actually moved to Southampton, I honestly didn't think he would replace Kyle Walker-Peters, who was also... No, even, good. you know, he said in an interview, even he didn't. No one thought he would. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. literally shows how good he is. Tarek Lamte, who left for Brighton, he's been magnificent for them as well. He's been, like, really unfortunate with his injuries, but when he's been on the pitch for Brighton, even that little cameo this last week against Liverpool, he absolutely, yeah. you know, butchered Andy Robertson. And yeah. you don't have so many players who do that. So it's it's amazing how how Chelsea produce these players and really don't don't really get them into the first or into the first eleven basically. You mentioned Gehi, but another player is Fikayo Tomori. He has been unbelievable AC Milan. Why didn't he start for Chelsea? Like you mentioned, um, I mean I remember coming across your tweet where you mentioned the exact same thing about some of Chelsea's players, uh, defenders basically, being in the last year of their contract. And when I read that, that's the first time I even knew that. And I was like, what are, what is basically Chelsea's plan? But <laughs> but then you have Chelsea, you know, ready to sell Gehi for 20 million and splash 60 million on Julius Kone. Yeah. So when you have the money, it's... I, I guess that is one of the reasons why Chelsea aren't really, you know, worried about the whole thing. Yeah, but well, it's frustrating. That- it's very frustrating, particularly as an academy enthusiast. You know, they have the money and they have the kind of, I guess, market sense to be able to just completely get away with it. And they have the talent coming through, you know, just this like a kind of endless conveyor belt that it doesn't really matter how many times they get it wrong because they'll get it right one in five times or whatever, yeah. and that'll be enough to appease the wider mainstream. Um, but yeah, Tamori was a very, very strange and very, very frustrating one. And and I think it really is a perfect example and underpins my reasoning for wanting more of a coherent structure above managers, because I talked about how Lampard was so instrumental, and I have to mention also Lampard alongside Jody Morris and Joe Edwards, his assistant managers who who knew the academy and, and they played a huge role as well. But obviously those three, they created that academy to first team pathway. But Lampard was the one who froze out Tamori and, and sent him out on loan and 
evidently agreed for there to be a, a buyout clause in the loan uh, to AC Milan for I think 20, 23 million pounds or something, which is utterly ludicrous for a player of his quality. I mean, he, I think, yeah, I think it's it's far from crazy. I think it's accurate to say that he's been the best centre back in in the Serie A this season, um, and he's certainly deserving of of starting opportunities with England as well. He's he's really that good, um, and yeah. So Lampard got that one wrong and no one really knows why he was and the 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 real reason why that one is even more so frustrating is because he showed that he was a Chelsea first team player he was Chelsea's best center back for a good you know multiple month stretch um he was amazing he was one of Chelsea's best players and then uh I think that was kind of um October to December time in Lampard's first season um and then around January time, he was just he was just sent sent to the bench um, without any real explanation. And there is still no real explanation, and I don't know if we'll ever get one. But obviously, Lampard, young manager, new job, he's going to make errors. Every manager is going to make errors, but this is what I'm saying. You need, and I, I'm, that, I'm, not, I'm not letting Lampard get off lightly, by the way, just because whatever I, he made the, an error and and that was wrong and it was bad. But you need systems in place to be able to cater for that sort of thing is my point yeah that's that's a very uh and a strong point that you mentioned as well it's it's pretty much evident uh, in in various clubs around europe as well even the top clubs how how the academy structure isn't really good you look at liverpool as well i don't think liverpool really had like a pathway trent alexander arnold the only reason trent alexander arnold really got a proper start was because nathaniel klein was injured for like a pretty good period of time and Trent really came in and, you know, he changed Klopp's view. And Klopp is someone who would really like giving youngsters a chance. And you saw how he boldly started Harvey Elliott this season in midfield. So with the yeah. right players, it's it's pretty nice to have. And I think Liverpool probably are going the right way. But Absolutely. I think one thing that Liverpool have been doing recently, which I really like, um, is giving their their best talents chances in the first team. So not just their best performers at academy level, like they gave Kate Gordon his first his first team debut before he had even made an appearance for the under-23s. He was just playing with the under-18s. And that's because they're saying to him, look, we value you. We, we, we are very invested in your long-term development. We don't want you to leave. We want you to feel valued. And we know that you have the quality to become a first team player in the future. And that is something that I think is very, very clever and, and more clubs, um, including Chelsea, should be doing that. Um, and yeah, I mean, Chelsea won't even give their 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 best academy performers chances in the first team, um, even when we have, uh, you know, at the moment, three attackers out injured. Harvey Vale's sitting on the bench in, in games that we're winning comfortably. Um, so it is frustrating, but I think, you know, Man City are another team that have been doing it excellently. You know, Pep Guardiola handing... Uh, bravely handing starts to Cole Palmer in the Champions League um, and, and giving giving I think about seven academy players starts in in the in the League Cup. Um, it's 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 very good to see that not all clubs are making the same mistakes as Chelsea. Absolutely. And moving on to the next point, which is the players that you have in the academy right now, who are worth looking out for probably in the next two years. 
who you think might break out like a Makiehi, like a Fikayo Tomori, like a Mason Mount. If you if you could like just give us like three names who you think will be the next big thing from the academy in the next two to three years. Yeah, sure thing. So I mentioned just there Harvey Vale, who's been on the bench for Chelsea's last two games, I believe. And as we record, he's just travelled with the the first team squad to Malmo for the for the away game in the Champions League. We are allowed to make five substitutions, so there is a chance he'll make his debut. I really hope he does. He'd be very deserving of it because he's been by pretty far the under-23 side's best player this season. Um, and yeah, he's he's a very kind of upright attacker, about six foot tall, but he's very agile. He's left-footed. Um, he, he does his best work in central attacking areas, which is not that common for a player of his physical um stature so it's quite he's quite an interesting talent um but he's very versatile you know he's very comfortable coming in off off the right wing and and crossing and shooting with his left foot but he's also put in some very good displays for the for the under 23s when he was the youngest player on the pitch uh, often at left wing back um so he's he's very versatile he's a very intelligent player he's a problem solver he's got great technique he's got great tenacity strength he's he's a really interesting prospect to look out for and he's very primed to compete in men's football. That's the other thing. He's, he's physically developed. Um, so I think he can make big steps pretty quickly. Um, the next guy I'm going to talk about, I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to talk about someone who's on loan and is not currently in the academy. Um, and that's Levi Colwell at Huddersfield Town. I knew um, that. I knew yeah. you were going to talk about him. <laughs> yeah, because he's just... I mean, I don't really like to hype these young players too much but when you have someone as good as Colwell I mean wow he's he's incredible really he he is future England starter material he's he's a left-footed center okay let me just hang on before I even say say anything about him as a player let me just put something in perspective so just just for context he started and been one of the best players in almost all of Huddersfield's um championship games this season he's I think he's recently turned 18 years old. Um, he was born in, in 2002. Um, so, or was he 2003? I'm not 100% sure. I hope I haven't got that wrong. But anyway, the point is, for someone age 17 turning 18 to go into the championship as their first loan, their first test, taste of men's football, as a centre-back and be a regular starter and be a good one, he would have had to have been the first person to do that since Stephen Corker in 2010. So no centre-back of his age has gone into the championship and been a regular starter since 2010. And he's not only been a regular starter, but he's genuinely been one of the best centre-backs in the league. Um, he's, he's left-footed. He's very um, physically dominant. He's strong. He's, he's um, very, very composed on the ball. His best attributes are on the ball. He's, he never, ever looks looks rushed or under trouble he he can bring the ball out um through carries and 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 passes he's got a great line breaking kind of driven pass between the lines um he's got a great long flat switch out wide um he's very very complete for his age um and he's quite a an outlier in terms of talent the, the only other guy i can think of who's a little bit comparable in terms of a centre-back being so mature and accomplished at his age is Taylor Harwood-Bellis, who's, who's playing at Anderlecht this season on loan for Man City. Um, and they're both players who really love defending, which is which is another great attribute for, for young players. Um, 
so yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what he can do. And he's another who Chelsea, given the situation with the centre-backs, should really be integrating into the first team next season and, and just easing him in. I have my doubts over whether that will happen. But in an ideal world, that is really what they should be doing, given his performance at, performances at Huddersfield. Um, even though it's so early in the season, you, it's, it's abundantly clear to see how good he is. Um, a third player. Hmm, who should I go for? Um, I will go for Jude Tunsup Bell, um, who is a striker. Um, who is a little bit different to other strikers that have come through uh, the Chelsea Academy in, in previous years, the likes of Tammy Abraham, Dominic Solanke, Patrick Bamford, E.K. Ugbo. And, and Jude is different in that he's very, very good at playing with his back to goal. Um, and while he is a fox in the box, like all those other guys I mentioned, he has very refined technique and he is happy drifting out wide and, and beating a man and putting crosses in with both feet. It helps that he, he played in, mid, in midfield up until about under 14 level, I think. Um, and he's just a very kind of polished talent. He scored a ridiculous amount of goals. I think he scored more goals than he played games in the under under 18 Premier League uh, last season. He scored on his under 23 debut age, uh, under 23 debut age, only 16 against Man United. Um, and it was a it was a weak footed curler from outside the box. Uh, he takes free kicks as well. Not that common for a striker. Um, so yeah, he's he's one to really keep an eye out. He has struggled a bit this season with the with the adaptation to to under twenty three football because he's coming up against players who are often kind of three four years old older than him, and he's not that physically developed yet. Despite being good with his back to goal, he's got a lot more to grow. Um, he's still only about five foot ten, and, and he's got a lot of filling out to do in terms of um, kind of physical muscle growth. Um, but he's he's a really exciting talent as well. Three amazing names that you mentioned, and Levi Colville is someone who's been. I I think a lot of people on my TL has been really excited about Colville, and it's it's re- really telling as well. Even Ram Srinivas tweeted the other day. Ram's been like really. He's been mm. consistently tweeting about how well <laughs> how good Colville's been, and that really answers one of our patrons' question. Dieter Van Gogh posted this question whether Colville would be a starter for Chelsea. You basically answered that in the future or next season. In the future, in the future. Yeah, yeah, in the future for certain. I mean, I'm not. No, I can't guarantee that he will be, but he certainly has the quality to. And if it's not at Chelsea, I'll be very, very surprised if he's not playing at a club a similar level to Chelsea at some point in his career. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it with uh, Chelsea. I It's not really, I mean, we're not completely wrapping up the Chelsea Academy discussion because the next topic is Tammy Abraham. And this is something that I really wanted to ask you because this is something even I'm, I was like pretty surprised because despite being you joined top scorer in all competitions, if I'm not wrong, last season. Tammy kind of fell out of favor of Thomas Tuchel's plans once Tuchel came in. He wasn't even making, you know, the squad, the match day squad. And he's gone to Roma now under Mourinho. I think the Serie A probably is a good fit for him. He's had two goals and two assists. He's been playing pretty well as well in the Serie A. And I think you might see him like breaking out there and getting good numbers in. And 
I, I honestly feel that you could still see Tammy back in the Premier League sometime soon when he really lit up, lits up the Serie A. But why do you think was he really sold and why do you think did Thomas Tuchel really not, you know, favor him? Despite Timo Werner's, you know, inconsistencies last season. Yeah, well, this is really the biggest issue that I have with Thomas Tuchel. And I have to put it out there that I am a fan of Tuchel and obviously he's been excellent for Chelsea. Um, I do have my doubts over whether he's done what's best for Chelsea's long term, but it's hard to argue against that when, or it's hard to argue that when, you know, we're winning so many games and we're looking like one of the best teams in Europe. Um, And we have the trophy to show for that. So, um, sorry, I promise that'll be the last time I mention that. Um, Yeah, I think it was unfortunate. It wasn't just that Tuchel didn't like him because he got he started him. I remember against Newcastle, and then he got an injury in about 15 minutes into the game. Um, it was unfortunate he didn't get the opportunities he deserved, but he was also robbed of quite a few of them by sort of unlucky injuries. Um, and then the team went on a run where it was it was hard to kind of bring in players just because they deserve minutes because the team was playing really well. Um, although he absolutely should have played Abraham much more. Um, I'm not saying that Lukaku was a bad signing. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have signed him, but maybe, or in fact, I'm more certain than maybe, I think I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure that had Tammy been playing under Tuchel and, and he would have played well because he's, he's that good. I don't think there would have been a need to spend a hundred million pounds on a striker this summer. Um, not saying that I don't like Lukaku, not saying it's a bad signing, of course, but that £100 million could have been very well invested in perhaps midfield, which is an area where we're looking quite light, um, and and maybe even centre-back, um, given given the, the contract situation that I alluded to. So, yeah, I, it's a hard one. I'm Most of all, what I'm keen to emphasise is how happy I am for Tammy that he's playing regular minutes again, and that he's getting to show how good a player he really is, because I think he was very, very underrated when when he was playing for Chelsea in the Premier League, even when he was actually playing games, um, because there's a lot of kind of um, aestheticism bias. Um, aestheticism, is that even a word? Aesthetic bias, sorry, that, um, that I think creeps into a lot of people's judgments of him as a player. And, you know, he's actually very good with um, with his back to goal. His link up plays good. Um, and, you know, <laughs> he's six foot five, but he's one of his worst attributes is his heading. And I don't know if many people would have would have picked that out because they just see what he looks like as a person and they don't they don't realize that. So I think really, as you said, the Serie A is a great place for him to further develop. I, I'm keen to stress that he was this good in outside the penalty area before he left the Premier League. It's not something he's learned from Mourinho. It's not something he's learned from the Serie A. He may get even further better at it there, but that is more likely to just be um, down to him being a good player and a good learner and, uh, and keen to, uh, to strive to, to, to improve himself rather than the, the conditions he's found himself in or whatever. I am slightly worried that Roma aren't an amazing team. Um, and that their best option off the bench is Stefan Al-Sharawi, um, and that Jose Mourinho is slightly prone to implode when things aren't going well. Um, 
but I am very confident that regardless, Tammy will will do well, and he'll if 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 he needs to leave Roma, he 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 will and he can, and if he doesn't, then I'm sure he'll he'll put up good numbers, as you say, and and potentially return to the Premier League um, sometime in the future. Absolutely, and I mean, you mentioned uh, a pretty interesting point there, where people normally stereotype certain players, aesthetic stereotyping probably or aesthetic bias. That's that's a pretty good word to use, I, I guess, in Tammy's situation because I've seen a lot of people stereotyping him as a target man, and I just yeah. I just had a look at his shots. I think I, I made a wish this past summer when he was linked with the move away from Chelsea and. I looked at his shots. I separated his shots by body parts, and the way he actually—I mean, you look at his shots with his head or the headers, basically—it's—it's it's really bad. And you, you just look at that particular sample <laughs> yeah. of data, and you still—if you still label him as a target man—then I probably have nothing else to say. Yeah. So it's absolutely. It's quite weird how you know, aesthetic bias comes into play and very often as well, not just in time situation, there are like a lot of players who who are like victims of, victims of this particular, you know. Yeah, for sure. Eye of detail. So, so that's it with Tammy and final piece of the jigsaw, jigsaw actually, wherein again, I'm going to like bring in a patron question from Dita. Do you think Chelsea are going to trigger the buyback option on Livramento? On Livermento, I thought you were going to say Tammy Abraham because we also do have one for him. Yeah. But Livermento, yes, I, I, I do think they're going to trigger it. And I think really, I, I mean, I don't know whether this will happen, but um, I do think it, the best move really, although it sounds silly, would be for them to do it this January because he's shown that he's that good. I think already his performances have made him uh, worth £25 million. If, if, well, I'm not actually sure. I think there have been... a various figures touted that is one of them i think some other people said it was up to 40 million i think in reality it probably depends on when uh, chelsea activate it um but yeah if we do continue with this system i think reese james's highest ceiling is as a, a on the right side of the back three despite his excellent performances recently at wing back so it does make sense to bring in um livermento if we can but i mean the thing, the thing I, I will say on that is I don't know whether Livermento would come back um, because I don't think this was widely reported enough because it should have been. But Chelsea, they sent him to train with the under 16s when he when he said he wasn't signing a new deal. They didn't really kind of go go to further limits to to convince him. They just said, okay, get out of here. And really. He was training with the under-16s in preseason when he should have been training with the first team and playing the friendlies because he, he was that good. And his performances for the under-23s, he was the academy player of the year the previous season. He deserved it. He was he was clearly good enough. He'd got on the bench at, at the back end of the, the, the season uh, for the first team. He was good enough. And I'm sure Tuchel and, and his coaching staff would have seen that in the training sessions. But this is, you know, very clearly a club move above Tuchel. Um... You know, if Chelsea are in for him, so are Man United, so are PSG, so are all the big clubs, Bayern Munich, RB Leipzig. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I mentioned RB Leipzig there because they're a club who previously showed interest in him. And, you know, would he rather go to a club who chucked him to train with the under-16s or one that have, you know, shown considerable interest in him over time? 
I don't know. It's, it's your guess as good as mine, but I'm just saying it may not be. That's it. it obviously may be the case that he feels he has unfinished, unfinished business at Chelsea and he's a Chelsea fan and he's willing to, to disregard the sort of um, unsavory circumstances in which he left. But I think it is slightly more complex uh, than, than people think it seems to be. Mm, and RB Leipzig seem to be like a pretty good bet as well because they've actually took a gamble in the past on Ethan Ampadu, Adamola Lukman. So they are pretty much, you know, they they even inquired about our friend Alexander Arnold um, when yeah. Liverpool were, Liverpool tried to get Naby Keita. So they basically wanted Trent Alexander Arnold as part of the deal. So they're pretty active. Act, they're pretty actively looking at the English market as well, so it wouldn't really be a surprise to to see him getting linked with Leipzig, you know, in the, in the near future. And I think under Jesse Marsh, this 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 lot to actually grow as well. So that's it with Tony Livramento as well. The final part of the podcast is what we're going to be moving on to now. And this is not a Chelsea-related question. This is something which is pretty general. Because I've seen you write about Terry Murphy. Uh, you even did that for Scouted Handbook. But I'm not going to be discussing about Murphy here. People should definitely get a copy of Scouted Football's Handbook because they are of amazing quality. I mean, you can see Kamal Din Suleyman's picture probably uh, in, in, if, if yeah, you yeah. just, just visit my room because I have the handbook there. It's so, so good. The quality, the, the writers at Scouted as well. So you should definitely get one. This is in no way, and you know, a paid endorsement. This is, this is a heartfelt <laughs> endorsement. Why'd you side. tell them? <laughs> and yeah, Orlando. I mean, you've been following uh, the French league. I, I I imagine for like uh, yeah. quite a while now. In your opinion, who do you think are probably you know, if if you had like name a couple of players who you think are going to break out of the scene, probably again in the next mm-hmm. one or two years who who do you think are those players mm, the ones, i like this question yeah the ones who who really haven't like you know really broken out like someone like kamal dean jeremy doku etc have really like you know put their name on the big stage already so someone who who is still under the radar mm, yeah um yeah you're, you're completely right i think ligan is one of my favorite leagues to watch and, and particularly uh, with regards to young talent, they have so many exciting young players and so many, um, well, that that is my kind of area that I, I take the most interest in in football, really, young young players and academy players and, and players breaking through. Um, you mentioned Terra Moffi. There's actually a guy who's been starting most of their games this season alongside Moffi um, as a sort of strike partner in a 3-5-2. Um, and he's called Armand Lorienté. Um, and he's not really a striker, so he's playing a little bit out of position, but the important thing is getting the minutes, and the player he really is is a very, very, very explosive winger, and when I say very explosive, like, he's he's gone. He one step over, and he's gone, um, and, yeah, he hasn't really broken out. The, some people may have heard of him, and that's because he is one of the most ridiculous free kick takers I've ever seen, and I think he had a a, a goal that was nominated for the Pushkas Award, if, if I'm not wrong, um, a, a knuckleball. His free kicks are all knuckleballs. He hits, he hits the ball right in the middle of the ball with his side foot, and it just dips over the wall, um, impossible to save. And he took this one from like, I don't know, it must have been about 40, 50 yards out, completely ridiculous. Um, 
I think it was like a, a 91st minute equalizer or something as well. Um, so that's always nice. I mean, I, I don't like kind of saying, oh, he takes good free kicks, so he's a good player, because that's absolutely not true. Um, you know, free kicks, they're nice, but they don't they don't make you a good player. But he's he's really, most of all, he's exciting to watch. He's fun to watch. Um, he, he he's, he's a fantastic dribbler, ball carrier, very skillful, um, but also pretty strong. He's about five foot ten. Um, and he's, you know, he's not, he's not like one of those kind of really silky, tiny wingers. He's, he's more in the frame of actually someone like Cristiano Ronaldo at Man United. Um, he's, he's quite powerful. Um, and he's, he's, um, he's very, very brave. Um, and sorry, when I say Cristiano Ronaldo at Man United, I forgot he's gone back there. Silly. (laughs) I, what I meant a young Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo at Man United is, not that great and also not that similar to, <laughs> to Armand Lorient here. Um, but, um, yeah, at all. But, um, yeah, he's he's someone I, I find watching really, really enjoyable. Um, yeah. Mm, pretty interesting because Ligon is amazing uh, in terms of producing talents and even even League 2 as well. Uh, because, I mean, you saw how I mean Adley performed last season he's been uh, i mean he was he was really really amazing and there's another player janis antist who moved to specia this season he really hasn't broken out uh, to be honest antist uh, there's like there's like a lot of work to actually do if, if he is to become you know amongst you know amongst the top youngsters but he is someone who people should actually have a look out janis antist um he has mm. gone to Spezia this season in this area. He's got like one goal, I think, uh, in nine games. So I'm not really caught a lot of Spezia this season, but I think I Spezia are quite an, an interesting club to, to look out for because I know they have um, they have very heavily data-led recruitment, um, mm. and they're they're um, they've also got an interesting link between their academy and their first team um, because they um, there's like. Um, the the top clubs in Italy, I think Juventus and I can't remember which other ones, but a few of them have have their their sort of B teams, their under twenty one teams in the in the Primavera, the Serie C, and then you also have Spezia B in the Serie C, um, even though Spezia are a lower level Serie A club, um, which is quite interesting. So it, it's cool to watch. Um, and, and cool to keep track of. But just going back to League on Talents quickly, there's another guy who I want to mention who, who I'm a huge fan of and who has had a really, really interesting career path. I think he's, yeah, he's still only 17 years old and he's started almost every game for Angers this season in Ligue 1. Um, and he's played for France under 21s um, this season. But the last youth team he played for, I think only like under 18 months ago, was England under 16s. Um, and that's Muhammad Ali Cho, um, who was at Everton, um, signed from Everton's under 18s. He didn't even make an appearance for the under 23s by Angers. And he was immediately kind of in the first team picture, getting like, I guess, f- sort of kind of five minute sub appearances every few games. Um, and now he's. A, he's, he's their first choice um, in a a front two in a th- in a three four one two, uh, so it's quite a fluid front three with a number ten between him and 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 uh, the other striker. 
uh, with with Sofiane Buffal as the number ten, and it's it's really fun to watch. Um, he's a he's a left footed attacker with lightning pace, really really good dribbler. Um, he's got a lot to improve. He's only scored two goals this season in in you know considerable amount of minutes, um, but he's he's very very exciting and his career path has has been really cool to watch. Mm, that's interesting. I mean. Everton are pro- probably not the right club <laughs> to you know uh, yeah. consider when you when you when you look at the handling of the youth. So yeah, yeah, that's true. I was also going to say on Cho. I just forgot he's obviously I said he's represented both England and France at youth level. But there's now talk I've I've seen recently that Algeria are trying to um, to convince him to play, and that you know they're offering a, a call up to the first to the first team for Algeria. They're trying to tie him down. And I believe he's also eligible for, I don't want to get this wrong, I think it's Cote d'Ivoire. So he's got like incredible ancestry. Um, and yeah, just a really interesting player in, in many ways. That's interesting to hear. And this actually brings us to the end of this podcast. I wish we we could go on discussing furthermore on a lot of other topics as well, because it's been really fun talking football with you hearing from you to be very honest because i've done you've done most of the talking and no it's likewise been, it's, been, it's been lovely to hear from you i mean for the entire podcast thank you so much for coming in on the show and once again to all our listeners orlando is the person to follow on twitter if you want good football content if you want good content on youth if you are a Chelsea fan and if you're not following Orlando, you're not doing Twitter, right? You're definitely not doing Twitter, right? <laughs> you're too kind, Ruthwick. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been it's been a pleasure, really. I've loved I've loved talking to you, as I said at the beginning. It's been a long time and I've been looking forward to this one and it's it's not disappointed. So thank you again for having me on. Oh, cheers, cheers. And before we wind up, once again, a shout out to the Chatalytics podcast, who are the new big boys on in the block. And again, an amazing group of people with an amazing set of, you know, podcasts. And they will be back. I mean, they will actually come up with a lot of written content in the near future as well. So keep an eye out on the Chatalytics podcast. Follow them on Twitter. And this is, again, once again, not a paid endorsement by any means. (laughs) (laughs) So You're just too kind, Rithik. That's what you are. (laughs) Thank you so much, and. Once again, to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast. We really, really enjoy you guys supporting us. If you really, really love our content, do check out our Patreon because we do some bonus content for our patrons. And if you really like our content, consider subbing to our Patreon as well. So until the next one, bye-bye. Take care.